My beloved in Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to go around the temple room now and I'll start asking each of you the name of the person uh, in line of the genealogy and we'll start in the back row here and go around. No. It's a wonderful Sunday, the Sunday of the ancestors of our Holy Lord Jesus Christ. Last Sunday was the Sunday of the forefathers, those who had who had foretold or prefigured Christ in some way. And this Sunday, well, we hear about the reason for it at the very end of our epistle reading, when Jesus had a better plan, a plan that included us, and we see what that plan was, or who it was. And it was Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, as we heard at the beginning of our gospel reading. A few weeks ago, when I was in Phoenix, one of the, in one of the trips, a few of us pre-sat down, we watched a documentary, fascinating documentary, about the development of all our social media and the software companies that developed the Facebook, the Googles, the YouTubes, uh, Twitters, Pioneer, whatever those, all those different things are. And it was about the, the men and women who developed the software early on. And it's about their reflection of what was created. Their intention started as a good thing, but they saw it began to be evolved and develop into something entirely different. And when you stand back and look, you can see what had happened. Man created his own God in his own image, and after his own likeness. If you go on any of those platforms and you start to look for something, because they have everyone's information, and they gather lots and lots and lots of information, not only the articles you read, but the pictures you look at, and how long you look at the pictures, all that is recorded. And they gather your information up and they compare it with people who have like-minded, likewise similar details, similar stats. And then they begin to populate the information. So if you're looking for a problem, something that you heard about, that if you smell a rose, you're going to grow a second nose, you'll Google it or Safari search it or whatever, or go to YouTube, and you'll start to find things. And they'll give you a whole population of what to look for. And so you start looking, and all of a sudden something else pops up, and something else pops up, until you get farther and farther down, you spend all day going down this rabbit hole. And every time you click on something, it's gathering more information from elsewhere, somebody else like you, that's trying to give you more stuff. And it's giving you what you want. It's given you what you want. The algorithms have been written in such a way that you get the desired response. I want to know about, there's got to be something bad about smelling a rose. I'm going to type it enough, and sure enough, I'm going to find it. The same with our news sources. They gather all the information up the same way. In fact, they were saying the ones that wrote the algorithms and that helped develop this in the beginning, that you can read a news source here in Seattle about a particular item, smelling a rose, 
And it's wonderful. It's great. It's beautiful. But somewhere else in our country, in our world, you'll have a completely different news source that speaks exactly the opposite to it. Don't smell the rose. You'll grow a second nose. Based on the people and what they're looking for. And the information they've tried to gather over the course of their own data gathering, they don't, we don't even realize we're doing that, and compared with all the millions and millions of data of information that's been gathered from other, others like us, but it feeds us, it drives us, because we just can't stop hitting refresh. We just can't stop hitting next. We just can't stop typing in something else, because it gets what we want. If you want to find bad news, well, you're going to have a heyday. You're going to get everything you want. The guy that invented the like button said he did it as a way of a positive thing to cheer people up. He had no idea that it would be a means by which people would become depressed and even in the young, suicide because they didn't get enough likes. But we keep looking. How many likes? How far can I go down this next rabbit hole? We created a God that gives us our desired response. And we love it. And we'll spend hours and hours and hours in front of our glowing God because He will give us anything we want. Man tried that on the Tower of Babel. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to strike at God, so he built a great tower. But that didn't work, so he kept looking for a means that he could do it, that he could compete with God. No, replace God, because God doesn't exist, and he's accomplished it. But what we find is, despite the fact that it can be great good, it's, it's amazing, a tool, but it's warped. And now as we search and we search and we search and we search, we find ourselves at the end more depressed, more isolated, and more divided than we've ever been before. But we created our God in our image after our likeness, and we can't stop looking, thinking we might find that one carefully crafted sentence that seems to strike truth, and that's truth to me and everyone else who populated that, or that carefully crafted paragraph, that somehow if I get it out and I get enough likes on it, everyone, the whole world's going to be in a state of zen. But it just creates a greater divide. We find in our gospel today another answer. Because we see in our gospel today that we were created in the image of likeness in God to such extent and see God's love is so deep that He is willing to humble Himself to take on our nature so that we could grow more and more into the image and likeness of the one true God of whom we were created after. But God's not going to follow our algorithms that we write for Him. Darn try as I might, he's not going to follow my paradigm that I've laid out for him. We look at our lineage, a genealogy today. It doesn't follow the normal paradigm you would expect. We hear Abraham is the son of Isaac, and Isaac is the son of uh, Jacob. Jacob, you know, Jacob's the father of 
Judah. When we look, normally we would think, well, wouldn't that follow the firstborn? Isn't that the way it usually went? But we see God didn't work that way. He had another plan. He was working something different that you and I can't see. It's a different, it's not our algorithm, so it doesn't make sense. The firstborn for Abraham should have been um, Ishmael, but it wasn't. When we get to Isaac, the firstborn was Esau, but Esau wasn't the line of which the promise was passed down. It went to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, but the promise wasn't handed down from, to Reuben, the firstborn. It was handed down to Judah, the fourthborn. And then we follow further along down the line, and we see, Carl, you know, our lineage, our salvation history isn't so pristine. Shouldn't this line of God be perfect without spot or wrinkle? After all, isn't it, you know, God didn't put it, didn't he put all this into our plan? Look at King David and the whole debacle that happened with um, who's Bathsheba, Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. And yet God would work through all of that to bring about our salvation. And then it still doesn't end because when we get to the end of the genealogy, we get something that's really shocking. We hear about so-and-so is the father and so-and-so. Jacob is the father of Joseph. And then it stops. Joseph is engaged to Mary, who is with child. Well, where does Jesus come into this? How does he get to this lineage? Wasn't it a bloodline? But then we have to know how God works. When a father names a child, when a father names his son, whether it's a bloodline or not, that son receives all that the father has. It doesn't matter whether you're biological or not. You receive all the patrimony that comes from the father. So when we get to the second part of our gospel today, where there's a very important thing that takes place, and Joseph has a dream, and the angel tells Joseph about Mary and about this child, and then at the end says, you're to name this child. Not Mary, you're to name this child. And he gives him the name Jesus, Savior. And Joseph awakes, does what he said, he did follow through what the angel said, and when the child was born, it said clearly, he named him Jesus. And in that process, Jesus becomes the son of David. Jesus becomes the one whom the prophet Nathan spoke of to David, that one would sit on your throne forever. I would be his father and he will be my son. It is through Jesus that the promised blessing, he is the blessing by which all nations are blessed through Abraham. But it's not a nice, clean line. Things aren't, don't go towards the way I think they should go. My algorithms don't seem to work with him. And yet he works through all of that to bring about our salvation. Because he is God and we are not. And yet our God desires us to be with him. To be faithful to him even when we don't understand it. 
He's not asking us to know it all. He's asking us to remain faithful, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the others we heard about, Moses, in the epistle reading. At the end of the book of Isaiah, it says God, when God reestablishes Zion, He's going to call them by a name from His own mouth. He's going to give them a name. And we see in the second part of our gospel today that Jesus was our Lord was given the name Jesus. That's referring to His human nature. But He also has the name Emmanuel, which is referring to His divine nature. But then there's another name that God spoke to through Isaiah that we would receive through our baptism. And that would be a follower of Christ, a Christian. But even then, when we get to Revelations, he says, I'll call you by a name that you don't even know, that only I know. Because I'm giving you this name, and because I named you, you receive all the patrimony. Everything that is mine is now going to be yours. We find through all this social dilemma from the social social the social dilemma is that uh, video uh, documentary that no matter what happens when you get to the end people are divided, lonely, separated, segregated. Even though they got a ton of information, they're incomplete, and we can't figure out why we're not getting along and why the divide is going farther and farther apart. Well, I'm telling you right now. Put the darn stuff away, get on your knees, and let's start repenting for our own sins. Because if you want to meet truth, it's not going to be in a document, it's going to be in a person, Jesus Christ. He is truth. He's not about truth, He is truth. Everything else is about truth. So let us get on our knees. You want to encounter truth? Come to more liturgical services, because every liturgical service is an encounter with the risen Lord, who is truth. If you want to know the truth, stand in prayer more, because every time you pray, you're standing for truth. You want to know about truth? Forgive somebody from your heart. You want to know about truth? Help somebody who's in need. You want to meet truth? You got to go where truth is. And that's Jesus. And he wants us to know this to such an extent that he lowered himself and take the form of an infant child that we're going to find in a cave in a few days. He wants us to be humbled like a little child, innocent, but a heart open, a disposition to the openness and love of God. And that's what the patriarchs had. That's what Moses had. That's what David had. Even though they weren't perfect, they had a heart that was disposed to receiving our Lord and working within God's will for them. Sometimes reluctantly, but they did it. And that's what we're called to as well. We're not going to find peace in the God we created in the algorithms we designed. It's not going to happen. Salvation will not come from our glowing screen, our God that we created in whatever platform it may be, who no matter who wrote the article, 
No matter how many people said that article is a good article, no matter what their credentials are, it's not going to bring you about salvation. The only way you're going to get salvation is through Jesus Christ and your participation in the life of the church. And the only way you are going to take advantage of that is by learning to forgive, by being humble, and walk humbling before our God, as Micah would say. This is what we're called to. Our God went to great extent to bring about our salvation and invited us in, but willingly. He won't force us. And you can see all throughout our history, the people, the men and women He worked with and through to bring it about. He named you at your baptism. When He sees you, He sees His Son. And that brings Him great joy. Let us live the life that we have been called to. Let's stop looking for God in places where He is not. And go where we know He is. Because when you're on your knees in prayer, when you're in the church praying with a humble heart, or in your home, in your prayer corner, you're going to find peace. You're going to find purpose. You're going to find wholeness. You're going to find the reason why you were created and the direction your life is headed. Because the one true God, we did not create. The one true God created us. And He is the way. And He is the truth. And He is the life. And He came as a newborn child for the simple fact that He loves us unconditionally.